to another episode of Jeff Becomes Jeff. I hope you enjoyed the last episode about jokes, limericks, and quips. Definitely felt good to just kind of have a more lighthearted episode, a lighthearted approach. I will be doing the same thing with this episode. Yay! The Easter special. I haven't done an Easter special before, I don't think. And you know me, I love a good holiday special episode. And despite not being a Christian, I still love an opportunity to learn and educate while also making fun of the silliness of pretty much every tradition, especially the religious just once, because they're silly. So, of course, you knew you weren't going to get to the beginning of this episode without getting a Coda the Puppy update. She is now over two weeks, I want to say. I've quit counting. Um, off the leash in the house. No more being tethered or walked around, and it's just up to her and the cat goobs no. to just have to pass each other in the hall every once in a while. There have been a couple moments where they've been really close, and I also got her a retractable leash for her walks to give her a little more leeway and freedom to explore. But I was starting to get the vibe that because she had been leashed in the house for the first several weeks of being here that she was starting to really hate the leash. She would bite at it and just be a pain in my ass, so I thought the retractable leash would help, and so far it has. At the time that I'm recording this, a Friday night, March 31st, Coda will be turning four months tomorrow, and while there's certain things as she's gotten older that are getting better with training and just repetition, she's definitely been challenging me in recent days and even the last week, week and a half. There's something that puppies or dogs have called the Zoomies, where is basically where they just go crazy, and Coda Zoomies are pretty consistent with other dog Zoomies, where she'll just run frantically in big, wide circles, or at least the amount of the circumference that the leash or the tie-out will allow, and occasionally she'll just jump up when she's running past me like she's trying to nip at my hand or something, just being an asshole. But it's just natural. It's, there's nothing I can do about it. You just gotta let them burn that off. So I just gotta stand there and deal with it, but for a while there, I was getting a Zoomie moment maybe once every week. In the last week, if I only get one Zoomie a day, I count myself lucky. Now, of course, the Zoomie episodes, they only last for maybe like two to four minutes, but that's a long two to four minutes. Also, over the weekend, last weekend, I made a mistake, apparently. I was up a little later, and I had put her in her room around, I don't know, 1130 is usually her typical bedtime, give or take. Depends on her behavior, if she's being calm, and I can, you know, let her just maybe fall asleep for a little bit in the room with me. That's rare. That's only happened maybe twice, but I started to to let her out around like one o'clock in the morning. Like, okay, I'll let her out for like 10, 15 minutes. Maybe she's so used to being in an overnight sleep state that she'll be chill and calm and cuddly and we can just try and spend some time out in the TV room without it having to be a play moment. And I can also let her out to go pee so she's not waiting through the entire night. Not that that's been a problem, just something I decided to try. Don't ask me why. And she got a little rambunctious after about five or 10 minutes. And it's like, all right, back to the room. Tried it again the second night, didn't work so much, so I was like, okay, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. She's just going to have to go back to being in the room all night long.
After that, I would put her in her room, even if it was just for a little 60 to 90 minute nap in the middle of the day, and immediately she would start whining, barking, things she's never done before. She's always gone in her room and been painfully quiet. Nothing. Not pawing at the door, which she's done a couple times now. It's getting better because now I've had multiple days of just putting her in a room, and as long as I go upstairs and I'm not in the adjacent room, the TV room watching TV, it seems to be a lot better. She might whine or bark for a minute or two, and then she calms down, falls asleep because she desperately needs to sleep at that point in the night, and for the most part, she gets through the night. But again, just another example of things as she's getting older and testing me and testing the boundaries that I'm having to deal with despite other areas getting it a lot better. I have found that putting an ice cube in her Kong, the little toy that you can put little treats and stuff in for her to lick, if I put an ice cube in there on the other side of the treat or the soft canned food or the peanut butter or whatever is kind of lining the inside of the Kong, it takes her a lot longer to go through it, and that's a lifesaver. However, I also realize maybe I'm training her to constantly be looking for food, whether it's feeding time, whether it's training and treats, whether it's a Kong to keep her calm, because now in the last several days, she is getting even worse at trying to eat everything she finds on our walks, primarily dog shit that she can locate. I know this because when I see her pick something up and I can see her chewing something on our walk, I'll have to kind of pull the leash close, get up right beside her, kneel down, and she lets me stick my hands and fingers in her mouth to fish out whatever she's got. And two or three times in a row on the same walk a couple days ago, each time it was a dog turd that was now wet because it had been in her slobbery mouth. Yucky. So there's another fun little addition to some of the behavioral issues I'm dealing with. I mean, I still love her to death. She's still a sweetie. We do continue to have more and more kind of loving and just fun little moments that don't have all that puppy aggression and playfulness all the time. And it's just day by day, week by week. As a matter of fact, right now, if I sound a little out of breath in just the last several sentences, it's because I'm recording this while she is still awake. She's in the room with me. I had given her a Kong and then she finished the Kong, came over, jumped up on the side of my desk chair like, hey, play with me, which I know means that if I don't pay attention to her, she's going to try and nip at my arm. And if I were to pause the podcast recording, and kind of turn around and maybe play fetch with her with some toys, that's fine, but I'm trying to get through the podcast. So I paused the recording, I ran downstairs, gave her another little ice cube with just a treat and a couple pieces of her dry food in the Kong to occupy her very low calorie, but longer time. My guess is I am not going to make it through recording this entire episode while she is awake. It is currently 10.20 p.m., so she'll go to bed in about an hour or so. Whatever I haven't gotten through, I will pick up where I left off. But there's a little behind the scenes that probably bored the holy shit out of you. But going back to her training and behaviors and things, I have my mom coming up to visit on April 12th, so Coda is not used to having people in the house at all, other than me. She's just not good at interacting with human beings, because I live alone, and it's just us, and other than maybe seeing someone up the road on a walk, that's about it. So my daughter Zoe came over the other day, because she has not seen Coda since day two of when I had her, like five weeks ago, and of course she's like, oh my god, she's huge, she's so big. I mean, I've noticed that she's grown. She doesn't look huge to me, but I see her on a daily basis and she still looks like a little puppy to me. But of course, all she wanted to do was just jump up on Zoe, jump up on Zoe, jump up on Zoe, no matter what. All the stuff that she doesn't do with me, she would do with Zoe because she's just not used to other people. I did start to get Zoe giving her commands to sit and to stay just so Coda can get used to taking commands from people other than me, but she just wanted her attention the whole time. Zoe and I took Coda on a walk and normally Coda would just be constantly roaming, sniffing, trying to eat something, usually dog shit lately. Mm. 
But Zoe was just walking beside me, and all Coda wanted to do was just bounce up, bounce up, get attention from Zoe, bounce up, get attention from Zoe. It did calm down after about, I don't know, 60 minutes into Zoe's visit. I was able to calm Coda out with a Kong, but even early on, the Kong wasn't enough to get her attention, which is rare. So I gotta continue to fix this prior to my mom's visit, or I'm gonna guess that my mom's visit might be very helpful for Coda's development, because I know that she will calm down after kind of just getting used to my mom being in the house, and having someone else around will get her used to being around other people other than just daddy. Yay! So that's enough of the Puppy Coda updates. I do want to reiterate, I've mentioned this in recent episodes, that man, I am cranking out podcast episodes quickly. As many of you know, prior to the end of 2022, I said, you know what, I'm not going to do a weekly Monday release. It's just too much to try and keep up with every single week. So I'm going to try and stick to, you know, roughly two, maybe three a month. And I'll admit that in January and February, it might have been closer to like three every two months. I don't, I'm not really sure. I think I got close to two a month, but definitely not three a month. And that's just because I was kind of enjoying the little break. I was very busy with my work, with the school. But the last three episodes I released were released in an 18 or 19 day span. Three of them. So that's more than weekly on average. And it's just because when I get home, I know that in order to do the routine that keeps me sane and keeps Coda entertained is for me to go upstairs into the studio slash office and work. And I don't always have work to do in the studio slash office, which also has a 60-inch TV, so sometimes if I'm playing fetch with her, I'll just watch TV from my desk chair. But it's just easier than being downstairs in the family room, which is another thing I have to fix before my mom gets here. And oddly enough, the episodes, not this last one, but the two before it, because of having Coda with me, they took like over a week to record and produce, which is almost twice as long as when I would do episodes previously. Just because my attention couldn't be 100% devoted and dedicated and was constantly pausing to do this or do that. But I want to say the last episode I did, I recorded, I think it was on a Saturday, and then I uploaded the episode on a Wednesday. That didn't take long at all to record, edit, finish production, upload, release. So hopefully that, you know, speeding up of the editing will continue, but as long as I still have an absolute need from a sanity perspective to go straight to my office and work when I get home, and I have like three hours of her being awake, I mean, yeah, there's times where we're taking walks, she's eating, we're doing other things, but usually around this time when there's only an hour left, she's already peed multiple times. She's got her nightly poop out. But as I mentioned, you know, I put out the last episode on Wednesday night. It is currently Friday night. That means I didn't wait a single day right after the night of releasing the episode. Guess what I did last night? Made my show prep for the Easter special, this one. And I looked at the calendar and I'm like, yeah, sure. At the pace I'm going, I have absolutely enough time to get this out by and before Easter. Basically, I have a little over a week. No problem. Unless this ends up becoming very long. Speaking of which, I better just shut the hell up and get to the topic. But before I do that, I do want to go back and mention, you know, the lighthearted nature of the last episode. And to me, this one is a lighthearted episode. People of faith might consider it to be blasphemous at times, but it's still lighthearted. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. 
Massive. And I'm going to be honest, it's hard for me not to throw things into this episode where there's things going on right now. I'm not going to mention a single thing by name, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of media and politics that I could be talking about right now, and I'm sure is going to be part of at least the next episode. But I'm going to do at least a second episode in a row with no mention of bullshit politics, bullshit media and news, and let's just have a little fun, shall we? Let me remind everyone that you can go follow me on social media on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. All right, everybody, it is time for the Jeff Becomes Jeff Easter Special. Hi, kids. I'm the Easter Bunny, and I brought a lot of eggs. I also pooped out some chocolate candies. I'd like to give them to you. Come sit on my lap and pay no attention to the carrot in my pocket. That's right. We're going to discuss everything from the religious, fantastical perspective of Easter to the modern, capitalist, fantastical elements of Easter. But kind of going back to what I just did with the whole Easter bunny thing and the kids getting excited, of course, we all know that's what Easter is about. The big, you know, man-sized Easter bunny that comes to your house, hides a bunch of eggs, and then leaves. That's weird. I thought it was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. My bad. So, again, you know I love eggs educational moments on the show, so let's go ahead and just rewind and start with the basic history of Easter. So, from a Christian holiday perspective, the first time Easter was recognized or celebrated by the Roman Catholic Church was April 4th, 326. So, 326 after Jesus' death. So, for 326 years, it was like, yeah, not really worth celebrating. Then all of a sudden, it was like, hey, let's have a party. But if we're going to party on a Sunday, we need a really good reason. How about the resurrection of Jesus? Didn't that happen like 326 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, but we can still celebrate it. Now, technically, the first Easter occurred in 31 AD, so not as long after. And, you know, these celebrations were actually rooted in a pagan celebration of Eostre. I don't know how to pronounce that. E-O-S-T-R-E. Ostra. Yastre. Eostra. I don't know. But she was a goddess, and Christians decided, hey, let's put our little Puritan spin on this. It's kind of familiar. We'll talk about that later. But Christians like to steal from pagans and other religions when... And trying to figure out their own holidays. And remember, you know, when you hear pagan, it's not a bad person. It was just someone who was viewed as a bad person because it was someone who did not identify as Christian or religious. But the pagan tradition that took place around Easter back then included wine and orgies. That sounds a hell of a lot more fun than just dressing up in fancy pastel colors and hunting for eggs. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right, I'm back. You didn't know I was gone, but I needed to take Coda out for a little walk. So if I'm a little out of breath as I start this next segment, you'll know why. So going back to the history of Easter, I know it sounds weird to you guys. Going back, we were already there. All right, in my mind, we're going back. But the same guy, Dionysius Exegus, Exegus, I don't know. 
another name, I have no idea how it's pronounced. Didn't look it up, but that same guy that decided Jesus' birthday was going to be December 25th was also the same guy that decided when the date for Easter would be. It seems a little fishy. So let's fast forward to the 1200s. In this time, the Christians would start decorating eggs before they would eat them as treats because they couldn't have meat for Lent. So the eggs were a substitute and they would just make them look pretty before they would eat them. I don't know, make them feel better about the fact that this isn't a steak. Granted, this also followed a pagan egg rolling tradition and the Christians decided we're going to steal this pagan egg rolling. We're going to symbolize the rolling egg as the stone being rolled away from Jesus's tomb. You sneaky, thieving little bastards. So the reason the pagans were infatuated with eggs around this time of year was because the ancient Babylonians believed that an egg fell from the heavens into the Euphrates River, which hatched the goddess of fertility, Astarte. I'm probably getting that wrong. Also known as Ashtar, also known as Ishtar, also known as Easter. Oh, man. Christians really ripping them pagans off. And pagans would exchange eggs during their springtime festivals as a celebration of this occurrence. And, of course, let's talk about the Osterhaus, which I assume I'm pronouncing correctly and I assume is a German word, but that would be a giant anthropomorphic rabbit, which that would be the Easter Bunny, and it was brought to the U.S. in the 1600s by Protestant German immigrants. Those pesky Germans. And if you don't know what anthropomorphism is, that's a hard word to say, but that would just mean an animal with human traits, like a man in a bunny costume, or a lot of the cartoons you might see. So the Easter hare, or the Osterhaus, was created when a German doctor in the 1600s wrote a dissertation against eating too many eggs over the Easter holiday. Why a rabbit that doesn't lay eggs would be a part of this dissertation is beyond me. I didn't dig that deep. That's what she said. And of course, you know, we got to the point where it wasn't actually eggs. Not too many people actually eating a whole lot of real eggs on Easter. They are plastic. They are candy. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the chocolate egg. The first chocolate egg was created in, here we go, Germany, shocker, in 1828. Now, it was basically just like a circle. It wasn't egg-shaped. It was a sphere, an orb of chocolate, but they just called them chocolate eggs. Mm. Then Cadbury, we all know and, well, some of us love, I do, the Cadbury egg, but they introduced their version of the candied chocolate egg in 1875, about almost 50 years later. Now, while I am a fan of the Cadbury egg, I will tell you, first off, not a fan of the mini. It has to be a full size because the ratio of filling to chocolate shell is way off on the minis. But a couple things that kind of annoy me about the Cadbury egg is, one, it's only available in America around Easter time. I'm pretty sure in, like, England or Europe or wherever, you can get a Cadbury egg year-round. Typically not the case here in America. That's bullshit. Also, I'm gonna say, I do find it a little off-putting and disturbing that they decided to color the filling both white and yellow to simulate a raw egg white and egg yolk. It's candy, people. We don't need to get that realistic. Just shape it like an egg. We got it. Alright, there's your basic history of Easter and just some of the things that are associated with it, but we're gonna dig down dive deeper so let's rewind again so of course we all know easter actually from a christian perspective is the celebration of the resurrection of jesus christ or what we in 2023 would refer to as a zombie don't say that what that what that the dead word don't say it why not because it's ridiculous 
All right. If Rick from The Walking Dead saw Jesus coming out of his tomb, he would have shot him right in the head. But of course, you know, Easter's also about his death because the crucifixion and the resurrection all happened in a, you know, span of time, hence Lent. So speaking to Jesus's death, let's talk about how old was Jesus when he died. Well, experts agree that Jesus died roughly between the ages of 30 and 33. What? Experts can't even say how old he was other than like this wide four-year range. That doesn't sound like very good storytelling and bookkeeping to me. So if they can't even get his age right, within a four-year span, and reminder that he died in his early 30s, so that's a percentage-wise a big span. But if they can't get that right, how do we know we're celebrating the right day? Well, of course, we're not celebrating the right day because A, never happened. B, they're ripping off the Jews, the pagans, those damn Christians. God forbid anybody get a chance to have their own little holiday, but the Christians just gotta steal their thunder. So the resurrection supposedly took place three days after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And his disciples had put him in a stone tomb because they didn't want his body messed with because he was the son of God. And they rolled this big heavy rock in front of the tomb. I'm a little confused as to why the Romans let them do that with Jesus's body. With as much of a display as they made, parading him through the streets, stabbing him in the side, putting him up on the cross with nails where everybody else got rope. I would have thought they might have, you know, maybe said, let's have a bonfire with Jesus's body. Not, okay, we did what we needed to do. You guys take the body and handle it in a very delicate manner. We're cool with that. But even more odd is that the tomb was guarded by Romans. They're the ones who killed him. Why were they guarding the tomb? And let's just be honest, why would you guard a dead body? What are you guarding? Now, going through the Gospels of the New Testament and looking at tales and recountings of the resurrection, I mean, you would think there would be a lot of stuff dedicated in the Bible to the details of the resurrection. Given that it is the only time this has happened in the history of humanity that we know, so I would imagine you would want to spend a little time in detail talking about it. Well, not only was there not a whole lot of detail, but there's a lot of inconsistencies from one Gospel to the other about what really happened. So let's look at the Gospel of Luke. So Luke said that a group of women came to the tomb and found two angels there that basically said, sorry, Jesus is risen. He's not here. Sorry, folks. Park's closed. The moose out front should have told you. Luke also said that after the disciples were informed of Jesus's resurrection, easy for me to say, that Jesus made several appearances in Jerusalem. All right, so let's talk about the Gospel of John. John said that Mary Magdalene, the whore, who some historians have claimed was actually the wife of Jesus, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, she found the tomb empty and she went and told Peter. Then she saw two angels and they told her that Jesus was risen. After informing the disciples, Jesus made multiple appearances in Jerusalem and Galilee. What? So Luke was wrong. Wasn't just Jerusalem. Now we have a little bit of a world tour going on here. What did Matthew say about the resurrection? Well, in the book of Matthew, at the tomb, an angel appeared to Mary Magdalene, once again, the whore, not the mother of Jesus, and told her that Jesus was risen. He instructed her to go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. So apparently this angel was kind of like Jesus 
Jesus' personal assistant. After informing the disciples, Jesus made one single appearance in Galilee, according to Matthew. What? It's a stark difference from the multiple appearances in Jerusalem that Luke said and the multiple appearances in both Jerusalem and Galilee that Matthew said. Let me point out that Galilee is about 90 miles away from Jerusalem, where Jesus had been in the tomb. That is a long trip by either foot or camel or whatever they had back then. So following the resurrection, Jesus only stuck around for apparently 40 days. It's a little odd that the only people who saw him during those 40 days were the disciples, the people who wrote the Bible, quote unquote, despite the fact that it was written and rewritten by people way after the fact. But if Jesus is trying to save as many souls as possible, wouldn't he maybe want to show up in Jerusalem and be like, hey, no, y'all just saw me die, but look at me. I'm a new man. Perhaps you should quit worshiping those guys and come worship me. Is an awesome God he reigns from heaven above. But no, instead, he decided to do a 40-day retreat to minister to his disciples. Only 11 of them now, because one of them hanged himself, Judas, for being, well, a Judas. <laughs> But during this ministering, that's a hard word to say too, but during that time over those 40 days, he instead delegated the responsibility to the disciples to spread the word of Christianity because Jesus had a plane to catch to heaven. So I'm going to cut Luke, Matthew, John, Mark, all of them a little slack in the retelling of the resurrection because for the most part, none of them were present. They were telling something they had heard that happened, but during the actual ascension to heaven after the 40 days, they were all there. They all saw it. I mean, surely all of them had a lot to say about this insane event of some dude going up into the sky. So let's look at the gospel of Mark and his description description of the ascension. Oh, wow. It's only two sentences. What? Here's what Mark had to say about that fantastical, crazy, once in a, not only lifetime, but once in the history of the world event. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached elsewhere. That last sentence, the second sentence, is pretty much like a yada yada. So the Lord spoke to them, then he kind of flew up into the sky, sat at the right hand of God, yada yada yada. Kind of think that if I had seen that and I was writing a story, might have spent a little more time on that juicy nugget. Mark, not a great storyteller, obviously. So certainly Luke had a lot more to say about it. Now, ah, son of a bitch, no, he only had three sentences, one sentence more. He said, when he had led them out to the the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. By the way, Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. It's a big difference from the other apostles telling of the ministry happening and the ascension being in Galilee 90 miles away. But we also know that Luke said that Jesus only appeared in Jerusalem, so it makes sense that he thought everything happened close by. But again, if you were asking three boys who got in trouble, 
and they told you these three different stories, you'd be like, you're all lying. So another New Testament passage that I could find about Jesus's ascension into heaven, this crazy event was in Acts 1 verses 6 through 11. And they followed Mark's lead with just a two-sentence little blurb. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, I guess men of Galilee, this reinforces that they were in Galilee, not Jerusalem, not Bethany. Luke was pretty much an unreliable storyteller and wholly untrustworthy. Damn it, Luke! So let's be honest, okay? Even if you're Christian, you have to admit those are some pretty serious and significant inconsistencies in the retelling of a story that is so absurd otherwise. Like, if you're gonna tell a crazy tale, you better get it right every time. The minute there are inconsistencies, Well, the minute you realize, oh, this is just a crazy little yarn someone weaved up for me to get me to believe something. In any other book, an editor would never allow for three conflicting retellings of the same event. Yet, people still somehow consider this the word of God, and the word of God is infallible. Well, is it? Because if it's so infallible, why did at least two of the three of them get it wrong? Well, let's be honest, all three of them probably got it wrong. All right, enough Bible bash for me right now. Let's go back to the theft of holidays by Christians. So let's look at how Christians have stolen Jewish holidays routinely, like Christmas versus Hanukkah, Easter versus Passover. And we already know that they pretty much aligned Easter and Christmas with the pagan spring and winter solstice. Maybe the Jews did that too, just to try and get a holiday. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, why all these little holidays apply at the same time and celebrate something completely different. Makes no fucking sense, competition, it's stupid when it comes to religion and faith. So first, let's keep in mind that pretty much prior to the birth and existence of Jesus Christ, that everybody in that area was a Jew. Even Jesus, when he was hung on the cross, had a scroll hung above his head with an acronym that in Hebrew spelled out, King of the Jews. Sarcastically, of course. So let's look at Hanukkah and how the Christians stole Christmas from the Jews and Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is always observed on the 25th day of Kislev. This is in the Hebrew calendar. Does the 25th day sound familiar to anyone? Now, because this is observing in Judaism a different calendar, Hanukkah actually takes place on a different day every year. Like, for example, this year it's going to take place on December 7th. Next year, it's going to take place on December 25th. What? So Christmas and Hanukkah will share the same day. But this is not an episode about Christmas. This is about Easter. So let's look at Easter kind of stepping on Passover. So similar to Hanukkah, Jewish holidays take place over a long period of time, like a week, instead of just a day. And Passover is a seven-day holiday. And this year it will take place between April 4th and April 13th. Easter this year will take place on April 9th, smack dab in the 
middle of Passover. So yeah, kind of lined up a little bit. So let's talk about what Passover is all about, because this is kind of a fucked up holiday, people. Based on the Bible's telling in Exodus about Passover, the Lord basically decides he's going to kill a bunch of babies. And here's what the Lord says, and I quote, About midnight, I will go through Egypt. About midnight? Even the Lord can't be timely? Especially for something as important as a baby massacre? Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Well, it's a good thing there were no pronouns or sexual identification back then, or some of those deaths might have been wrongly prosecuted and committed. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh to the firstborn to the slave girl. Well, that's kind of fucked up. I mean, messing with the slave girl just because? I understand messing with the pharaoh, but the slave girl? Come on, she's already got it bad enough. And all the firstborn cattle as well. What? What the fuck did the cows do? And how are they supposed to spread lamb's blood on the door to save their babies? That's kind of messed up. Speaking of lamb's blood, if you don't know, all you had to do to get out of this horrible atrocity committed by God was to smear some lamb's blood on your door. (laughs) Then God would be like, okay, not going to kill your son. (laughs) I mean, that was close. We can laugh about it now. We're all right, you know. (laughs) But just like the cows, what the fuck did the lambs do to deserve this? Because you know a shit ton of lambs were killed for their blood that night. I mean, God basically managed to commit a massacre of babies and cattle all by himself, and he coerced humans into committing a massacre against sheep. Gonna be honest, God's kind of a dickhead. And obviously, it's very fucking absurd, but people still celebrate it and believe that this is exactly what happened. And if that makes you feel better, all right, fine. I prefer to live in the real world with actual facts, science, and just a little bit of basic human logic. When it boils down to it, Christian, Jewish, whatever, all of these holidays are rooted in just fantastical nonsense stories, poorly written fiction, inconsistencies, yet everyone still considers it to be, well, for lack of better terms, gospel. So before we finish up today, let's go ahead and talk about the commercialization or the capitalizing of marketing and merchandise for Easter. And to basically, you know, make everyone forget why we're celebrating Easter. Want a good example? Ask a little kid what they're looking forward to on Easter. A, going to church to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Or B, the Easter bunny and candy. You all know the answer. It will never be A. Unless you have brainwashed your child into liking church more than candy. You want a candy bar? You do now. Look, I got a baby Ruth, sir. And if you want proof that the commercialization of Easter has overridden the actual Christian element, let's look at some hard numbers. That's what she said. Around the time of Easter 2021, there were $3.2 billion of sales in non-Easter candy and $1.2 billion in actual Easter candy sales. That's a combined $4.3 billion of candy right around Easter. Let's 
look at like just Christianity, the Bible. How many Bibles, the best-selling book of all time, are sold every year? Well, it's about 20 million. So even if the average cost of a Bible was $50, which it isn't, that would mean about $1 billion of revenue over the entire year. Not just a little season like Easter. So $4.4 billion of candy sales in just a few weeks, $1 billion of sales in an entire year. I'm sorry for your loss. And of course, then there's the whole Easter egg hunt. I mean, I remember being a kid, waking up on Easter. Yeah, I get to go walk through with a small little room and try and find an egg here or there or here or there. And I hope my brother doesn't beat me to the eggs first. I remember taking my kids to Easter egg hunts, typically held on church lawns. I never took my kids to church a single day of their life. But I would do this because it was just something, you know, they heard about at school and it was fun. It wasn't really faith-based so didn't feel like it was doing them any harm. Yes, I know many of you might be thinking not taking them to church or making them faith-based is harmful. I see it the other way around, but it was stupid. It was just a big area of grass where there were all these multicolored plastic eggs with a little piece of candy inside, and they weren't hard to find. It was just whoever was fastest. I guarantee you, if you actually put real hard-boiled eggs out in an Easter egg hunt, not only would it be less fun, less people would show up, but it would be messier. That's what I'd like to see. Fuck it. Quit with the plastic hollow eggs. Go with a real egg. That's got protein in it, Jeff. Yes, it does. So with Easter coming up next Sunday, how will Jeff be celebrating Easter? I'll tell you. I'm going to DoorDash. We're going to take advantage of all those people that are at home and just want to be kind of pampered and order their food because nothing says pious and Christ like a semi-warm burger from DoorDash. My kids and I, we will do nothing. I will not buy them any candy. I will not give them a card. I will not even text them Happy Easter because they would think I was crazy if I did. Nor will I hear from them because, again, it's not really a holiday. It's just another Sunday. Alright, thank you everyone for continuing to tune in. I hope you have a happy Sunday. Not going to wish you a happy Easter Sunday. Just have a happy Sunday. Also, have a happy Saturday and a Monday and a Wednesday and a whatever. All the days. Don't forget that you can follow me on social media on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. Until next time, I'm Jeff. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance Well, they're no friends of mine See? And I'm the Easter Bunny You want a candy bar? You do now Look, I got a baby Ruth, sir uh-huh. Understand Whoa. 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 And now Whoa. the final crowd to this kid Baby about Good night <laughs> to the devil and I prayed and I showed him the mess that I've made and I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over but the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire and said can you turn the heat a little higher cause I've been
time's over But he just covered me with water So I went to the Lord of the sea Said, won't you come wash over me Cause the roads and the woods Have been winding a million times over But she receded from Now back to your regularly scheduled program. 